1: What's up, guys? Red Nation Hoops podcast. My name is Salman Ali at Red Nation Hoops on Twitter. Post media day edition of the podcast here, joined by Paul, aka at Rockets in the Lake on Twitter. How you doing, today, man?
2: I'm doing pretty well. Excited for the season to start.
1: Yeah, me too. Training camp starts tomorrow. We just finished up here with media day, and everyone felt excited. Everyone was excited. Um, there was a you know, there was a first day of school feeling in the air. Everyone felt genuinely you know pumped for training camp tomorrow and it felt um it felt really light and and i I think that's the the biggest takeaway i got from media day um there wasn't attention in the air like i and i I don't want to say addition by subtraction but it it felt uh with dwight howard's departure like there was there wasn't you know there wasn't attention in the air everyone felt freer everyone felt you know looser everyone felt you know generally more happy and i don't want to blame that all on dwight but i mean that's just the way it felt coming out of media day. um Did you get that same feeling?
2: Yeah, I got the sense that uh, they felt free in terms of how they, how they want to go about next season. And I feel like it would, was, in fact, a breath of fresh air to just be without Dwight and say what you want about Dwight. But his actual presence the last year was kind of a burden. Whether you want to fault him or not is another question but it's kind of hard to argue with the fact that Dwight just was a distraction and things were not clicking. So it I think everyone was genuinely excited to start the season and like you said first of, first day of school and all that. Yeah. And James especially I think felt like he could be felt excited about running the show with being the unquestioned leader, I felt that James was particularly excited, along with Trevor.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of the what everybody was kind of looking forward to: James Harden and and how he felt going in every, everything. But before we discuss Media Day and everyone's interview, uh, let's discuss the breaking news that came our way yesterday: the Rockets traded Michael Beasley for backup point guard T- Tyler Ennis from the Bucks. How do you feel about this trade? Because I, I'm going to tell you right off the bat, I was super excited that the Rockets traded Michael Beasley. I was actually surprised that they actually managed to get an asset back because Michael Beasley. I mean, say what you want, he, he's just not a positive on the basketball court, and I just think he's not a good basketball player. Um, he's a horrendous defender. He's like a legendary chucker, and um, he's not particularly efficient. And you know, he, for some reason, he has this this weird. Underground following with Rockets Twitter, I, I you know uh, running a site and you know having a Rockets Twitter account, you kind of get that, and I, I know you get that a lot on your Rockets Twitter. I mean, it's just weird. He has this this odd following, this that that will stand by him no matter what. Like, like it always angered me when I heard like he was the second best offensive player on the team. But yeah, how did you feel about this trade? How did you feel about Michael Beasley in general while you he was here? And how do you feel about the addition of Tyler Ennis?
2: Yeah, I was a known uh, Michael Beasley hater, at least in terms of being on the Rockets and contributing to my favorite team. Uh, He was a net negative overall. They were worse on offense with him on the floor. They were worse on defense with him on the floor. He was just a horrendous net negative overall. So I'm really pleased that if nothing, I'm really pleased about the fact that I don't have to go into the season worrying about whether or not Michael Beasley will get any meaningful minutes. And that itself is a positive. And Tyler Ennis might not be an NBA player, but just being free of Michael Beasley is a blessing in its own. And, you know, maybe Tyler Ennis end, ends up being a solid backup point guard. I often trust. More in these deals for backup point guard for point guards, you know, with his history with Aaron Brooks and trading for guys like Goran Drogic and Kyle Lowry, not to say that Tyler Ennis will be as good as any of those guys, he probably won't, but you know, there are reason, there's reason to be optimistic about him, he was a good player at Syracuse, he can pass a little bit, so yeah, good trade by more awesome trade.
1: Yeah, and the real story here is he brought in a player from China and he turned him into an asset. I mean, that's exactly what he did. He brought in Michael Beasley from China and he turned him into a trade asset. Whether or not you think um, Tyler Ennis is a big haul or not, um, he's you know certainly, I would say, a bigger haul than Michael Beasley. I would say the Rockets went out on this trade. Um, And, you know, you're right. Daryl Morey does have a history of bringing in good point guards. It's... um, it's it's not just the stars that he's bringing. He just brings in guys who are productive, whether or not they'll be they'll grow into any you know meaningful player in the NBA. Like like Pablo Prigioni last year when he, when he traded for Pablo Prigioni last year, um, you know he he certainly contributed to the Rockets' cause last year and he helped them get where they were. And and if if you can get any sort of backup point guard production from him, I'd say it's a successful trade. I agree with you. The, that was one of my biggest worries. With Michael Beasley, is like I really did not want him to get minutes coming into this season. Um, I, I just don't think he's a very particularly good NBA player, I, you know, as we detailed um, earlier. And it's just, you know, the, the numbers speak for itself. He's a net negative. He, he never helps the team. I mean, um, you know, he, he's a he's a really good mid range shooter, and I, I think a lot of people confuse that with him being a really good NBA player, which is just not the case. I mean, if you look at his contract, I mean, he he wouldn't be on the team. I mean, he wouldn't have the contract he has if he was as good as this underground following of BZ supporters would, you know, portray him out to be. I mean, um his second year was non-gate, was a team option and 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 if it if he was truly that great, his agent would have negotiated him a better a better deal for him. So yeah, overall solid trade. Um we don't have to worry about it and maybe a, a good sign uh, as far as demos um I guess, a rival back on the team. Uh, perhaps with, with Michael Beasley's departure, the Rockets might have a better feeling about him coming in and perhaps accepting that qualifying offer that, that um, they left for Monte Yunus. But yeah, overall, okay trade. Um, and something interesting going into training camp for today. Um, so let's go ahead and talk about media day. So the, the first the first people up on the board were was Leslie Alexander. He really didn't say anything, to be honest. He just mentioned that the, the Rockets were... Um, going to be much better than everybody else thought they were, yada, yada, yada. You know, the usual spiel, as Alexander says, uh, he defended Harden and whatnot. Um, when it really started to get interesting was when Daryl Morey got up in, on the stage. And um, a, a quote from him that I really found fascinating is he, he compared the Rockets um, this season, the, the, the kind of feel in the air, to 2014-15 when they really um, surprised everybody. Here, I'll, I'll go ahead and play that audio for you real quick
3: can they survive without this player or that player that that, that isn't here? Um, and, uh, you know, we surprised everyone and won at a very high level, made the Western Conference Finals. Uh, that's extremely difficult to do, but we're going to take it a game at a time and play really hard.
1: So, I mean, from that audio clip, do you agree with it? Like, did you agree that that's the kind of feel you get, the 2014-15 feeling, whether or not you think they'll win that many games or, or actually reach reach that kind of playoff success. Do you agree that that's the kind of feel you got um, in the media day-to-day?
2: Yeah, I feel... I, I do uh, feel like this team is being underestimated by uh, just people that I've talked to in general and on basketball Twitter as a whole. I think that this team's ceiling and floor is higher than people think it is. But at the same time, this team... I I. I'd be legit. I'd be legitimately shocked if this team won fifty six games. James Harden did a great job without Dwight, but the Rockets aren't going to get a player as good. Aren't going to have a secondary player as good as twenty fifteen Dwight Howard. And even though he wasn't healthy, he did contribute to like a some absurd record to start the year, like. I don't know, twelve and one or something like that,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and it's just it's just not realistic to think fifty six games. Yeah, and is attainable.
1: Yeah, and, and you're right. They started off really hot. I think they started off the season like undefeated up until they went to the Warriors. Um, up until they played the Warriors, and um, that's really where they where they, where they lost their first game. I agree. It, I don't think t- they're gonna um, they're gonna start off that hot or or win that many games. But I, I think it's possible that they surpass people's expectations i mean i I read this stat all the time but if you look at the top if you look at the past five years and you look at the top five offenses in nba which we expect the rockets to have every team that's had a top five offense in the last five years has won 50 games so and and so that's a five-year sample size and if you even take that back to a 10-year sample size every team that's had a top five offense within the past 10 years has won 50 games except for the 2010 new york knicks so that's 49 out of 50 teams within the past 10 years that have won 50 games with the top five offense alone. So I think that's really underrated. You know how far an offense can take you is really underrated. It, it's you know in some ways equal to defense in terms of um, how many wins wins you can get out of it. And I think it, it's being overlooked. I think I think I think the Rock. I think having a top five offense is certainly a um, realistic expectation for the team, uh, considering they had a top seven offense this year. And the, the multiple overhauls they had on the roster and the coaching staff by D'Antoni, um, and and the shooting that they brought in, I, I think it's realistic. W- wouldn't you say so? Uh, top five offense. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, I think I, I wouldn't be shocked if they were like top two offensively, but uh, I definitely think top five is something that they're going to have to be. If they want to be a good team, top five offense is a good goal to have. It's definitely something that they're going to have to achieve. If they're top seven, that would be a pretty massive disappointment, in my opinion.
1: Mm -hmm. That's the same as last year.
2: The shooting that is surrounding James Harden is pretty unprecedented in terms of his stay with Houston. He really just hasn't had any shooters like Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon. And he hasn't had four shooters on the floor at like at all times or anything like that. And I feel like we could see just an incredibly explosive offense led by him and just really fun to watch as well. So top five. Yeah. Maybe even top two, probably not top one because the Warriors are like, yeah. A tank of disrupt destruction. Yeah, but top five, very much in play. Like in my. Opinion. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, so, if that's a reasonable floor, I think it's 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 likely that people that they're going to surprise people with expectations. Um, so let's go ahead and talk about um, the second interesting point he brought up in um, in his uh, interview and. You know we've talked about this on Twitter, and we talked, and I and I wrote a column on this. Clint Capella is primed for a breakout season this year. He he averaged 19 minutes a game last year, and so um, just by virtue of him averaging 30 minutes a game, he's going to put up impressive numbers. He's probably going to average a double double, and if if he even got marginally better in the off season, I mean he's a candidate for most improved player. And I I really think that's that's an aspect of this team that's being overlooked. Clint Capella, you know I think. By the by the halfway point in the season, people are really going to start no, start to notice him um, as the Rockets' second best player. What do you think?
2: Yeah, that's something that I've actually been harping on uh, throughout the entirety of the off season. He was, I thought, he was the Rockets' second. Clearly, in my opinion, the Rockets' second best player post All Star break during the regular season. I thought, I think him and Harden have a chemistry uh, that is important. And I feel like, unlike Dwight, he just runs to set screens, and he has no problem staying active on offense, even if he doesn't get to touch the ball as frequently. Which is an underrated asset in terms of uh, an underrated asset in terms of big men. And I think he's primed for a awesome season. An awesome season. I think he's going to average like thirteen and eleven or something like that if he gets the minutes. Something that I was surprised by. And what Morey said was actually uh, yeah, him we'll, saying. we'll we'll bring was, it up. We'll,
1: we'll bring it up right now. Here, let, let's put that audio real quick.
3: We need some of those guys to step up, and with all those options, we're hoping uh, you know something emerges there. The expectations increase for Capella? Yeah, no, uh, Clint is someone that for us to have the season we want to have, which is to get home court in the Western Conference and to and to make a deep playoff run, and hopefully. Uh, deeper than I've ever been in my career. Um, Clint is going to have to take a big step forward, and it's not an easy step to go from playing 15 to 20 minutes uh, against uh, often, not the starting center, to, to playing, you know, 25 plus minutes uh, against frontline guys. That's a big step forward. The game's more physical. It takes a big toll on your body to do that night in and night out. Uh, he's added a lot of muscle. Uh, he's worked extremely hard over the last two years and this offseason, so we feel like he's someone who can take that step forward, uh, but that is something that, that we're going to need if we're going to be as successful as we want, especially on the defensive side of the ball.
1: So that's what he said. Um, you can go ahead and comment what you, what you were going to say.
2: Yeah, I was actually going to comment on the fact that there was a little bit of question of who was going to start. Yeah. Dan Toney, uh, when Moray sort of deferred to Dan Tony for who would start. I got the sense that it was 50-50-ish, if not 50-50, leaning towards Nene, which I was pretty surprised by. And I think Capella should start because he is your future and he needs to be really good for the Rockets to be good this season. And you can't rely on Nene. So that was something that sort of struck me that was rather surprising. I, I was 95% sure that Capella would start in the off season, but that does not seem to be the case.
1: Yeah, see, I didn't get that vibe listening to their press conference. I, I do know what you're talking about when he le- kind of referenced towards uh, Dan Tony as to who's going to start. And I, I don't really think they gave any indicator as to who's going to start. I, I, th- I think um, it felt like they talked about Nene kind of excessively for a backup center. But at the same time, I don't think um, I, I don't think that's what's, what's ultimately going to happen because I, I do think Dan Tony is a smart guy, and I think I, I do think um, he understands the kind of future you know Clint Capella could have for him and how important it is to um, start him right away and give him his reps. Um, even if Nene starts, I, I still think Clint Capella is going to average more minutes than, than, than Nene. Um, potentially, just giving um, you know Nene that ceremonial start for like five ten minutes and then giving and putting uh, Clint, Clint Capella back in for like a good majority of the game. At the same time, I'm so stoked for what kind of leap he can make defensively because um, we've talked about it on previous podcasts. But Clint Capella is an absurdly good pick and roll defender in terms of switching onto guards. Um, we saw this in the 2014-15 playoffs against Steph Curry, where he there was there were possessions where he would get switched onto Steph, and he stayed on to him really well. Uh, I'm not sure if you noticed that, but he he's you he, he was really, um, you know, doing really well on those switches, and um, it felt like that's what the Rockets are trying to do schematically. I'm not sure if that's what they're going to do this year, but if if they really want to utilize him, I think I think having a switching scheme with Clint Capella coming out on the on the guards, um, sort of like what, um, you know, the more the more mobile bigs do in the NBA, like like Tristan Thompson. Rudy Gobert, like those guys, like those guys are are, are given the freedom to switch. I'm not sure if he's going to get that right away, but if they do, I think think if he improves as a rim protector, he has the potential to be a really special defensive player. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I'm I'm not exactly uh, on board with like this switching scheme. I think that I don't think this team will rebound well enough to have like Capella move out on the guards. On the perimeter, like often, I think if you need an you have an emergency switch, I think Capella is very capable of handling that, and he's really mobile, and that is fine. But I think Capella is perfectly uh, fine in like just sitting back as the big and icing the pick and roll, and just. Being being mobile and disrupting the ball handlers' uh, dribble and that kind of stuff, I think that he can do that fine, and it would probably work out very well. I think he has a very high ceiling on defense. Probably not this year, where you're going to see him as like a major major plus on defense. But you know, maybe a plus with little, maybe a plus with uh, little sparks of elite defense here and there is. And that's definitely
1: something to be excited about because he's only 22, I think. Yeah, and um, the, the, that's kind of the feel I get with him. Um, I, I don't think he's he's worrying he needs to be rim protected rim protection wise. Um, I looked at nylon calculus um, a few weeks ago, and I was writing that column on the Pella. He's not there yet, but he's last year he put up equivalent rim protection stats with Dwight Howard, um, and that really you know surprised me because Dwight Howard. Um, like last year, although he wasn't as good defensively as he's been in the past, he was still a stable rim protector that you depended on, and and Clint Capella equated his production. Now I'm not sh- I'm not saying Clint Capella will be nearly um, the the rim protector Dwight was, but the fact that he was able to equate him last year uh, really surprised me. Uh, so the second the, the thing we mentioned at the top of the podcast was, you know, every everything felt looser in the pre- in the press conference. I you know all the players felt like they you know relaxed, they felt excited. And um, that's something Trevor Ariza was talking about early in the press conference. Let's go listen to that real quick.
0: I think everybody has a different spirit. I think uh, everybody uh, being back here is very excited to be here. You know, just being around everybody, it's, uh,
1: you know, it feels good. So, um, with that being said, did. did you, did you notice that with other players like where where they they just felt like they were relaxed and they were and they spent they spoke um they spoke calmly they spoke like they they like they wanted the season to begin
2: yeah uh, Clint was kind of laid back but i felt like everybody else was really excited i think Clint is just always excited no matter what so mm-hmm. it doesn't really change how he feels but i think uh, The rest of the team was very excited. I think that Harden having those uh, mini camps has really helped the team chemistry, at least from a standpoint of initial relationships. I think that they are closer than a team that was just put together recently would normally be. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not sure, but that's the sense that I get. And I think, uh, like I said, Dwight not being here is a breath of fresh air and I think that it helps the relationships between uh, Patrick and Trevor and Harden where you don't really have to worry about what Dwight thinks or are like, oh, what are we going to do with Dwight or anything like that? I think that they're just ready to start the season and ready to see how they do without Dwight.
1: Yeah. And another narrative, um, like I was particularly focused on going into media day was um, seeing uh, the condition of Harden, and to seeing like how he kind of felt like, and, and how how he looked uh, going into media day because he came into training camp and let's just say he looked fat. He, he did not look in great shape. Um, everybody noticed it, and it, it resulted to poor play to start the season. Um, and he actually he was actually asked about that during the press conference. So let's go ahead and listen to that.
0: Perfect. I've been in the lab all
1: summer. So, um, with that being said, like, did did you notice um, like what did you notice from Harden's body type? Did did, did you feel like he was in in peak condition ready to start the season? Uh,
2: he wasn't as uh, he was somewhat. I think he was somewhere in between, like uh, last year and what he was in off seasons and in like. And uh, I think he was somewhere between what he was. Last season and what he was the previous years in terms of body shape, uh, I, I don't know. i have analyzing his body shape feels a
3: feels a little bit weird, but it's
2: <laughs> you know it's something that you definitely got to worry about with Harden because he cannot be trusted in that sense in my eyes. Uh, so you know, I thought he looked reasonable, and he's going to be thinner because he's going to be going through tri- training camp and a month of training camp and preseason games before opening day. So he's going to be thinner, and that's something to keep in mind while he's, while we look at the body shape that he's currently in.
1: Yeah, and it's going to be a, 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 a coming theme for, for Harden for probably the rest of his career. Um, we just never know um, whether Harden's going to come into camp in shape or not. He tends to play himself into shape a lot. And um, fortunately, this year um, he did not he did not have any any nagging injuries. His ankle was fine. Um, he worked out a lot a lot during the off season. We saw a lot of video of that. We saw we um, saw him organizing camps for guys. So he, it did seem it did feel like he got into you know peak shape and ready for the season. Uh, as far as conditioning wise, I think he's there, and I agree with you on body type. I don't think he's all the way there yet. I think after training camp, he will be. But um, he looked. I think it's definitely a step up from where he was last season. So, um, the second thing I really noticed during his, um, his press conference was he was asked what would be a successful season for the Rockets. And this is what he said.
3: What would you consider a successful season for
0: this team? Championship.
3: Is that realistic?
0: Realistic. I think we have more than enough, you know, in that locker room, um, to win, you know, um, and, and we're willing to, and able to compete with anybody on any any given night.
1: So, um, and this, this wasn't just Harden. You saw this with Ryan Anderson. You saw this with Patrick Beverly. And um, do, do you think they're, they're they're being really lofty in their expectations? That's, that's, that's the sense I get. Um, I, I think that they're expecting too much out of themselves. Um, I just don't think they have the roster in front of them. What are your thoughts when you, when you first heard that?
2: Uh I thought, from a standpoint of just listening to what James said, I think James is an extremely confident fellow and has maybe too much confidence in uh, his play and his ability. Mm -hmm. And even though I don't think his confidence necessarily hurts him on the floor, I don't think that it gives him realistic expectations for this season. And, you know hearing the other people talk about championship or bust or some or stuff like that, you know, James is saying it, the leader is saying championship or bust. So I th- think that some of what they're saying is because Harden is so confident in, in himself and uh, he's saying stuff like this team could win a championship so it would look kind of weak if Harden was Harden the leader was saying championship or bust and everybody
1: else was saying I don't know about that you know yeah so and and I think
2: that they're just sort of following the leader so to speak yeah in that
1: sense And, and like when I tweeted the quote out um you know I got a lot of backlash from it and um I can understand um in the sense of they're probably, let's be honest, they're not winning a championship next year. Um, and if you expect them to win the championship, you're out of your mind. And um, so, yeah, I can ex- I, I can understand that type of backlash. But as far as, you know, expecting a championship, I mean, what do you expect from these athletes, man? Like, um, we, we expect them to be supremely confident people, which they are. I mean, you have to be to get, their, get at the top of their game. Um, and, and then and at the same time, we expect them to lower their expectations. I mean, like, what do you want from these athletes, right? Like, um, you want them to be supremely confident, in that and that's what makes them so damn good. And so, I had no problem with it. Um, I, at the same time, um, I, 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 do, I do think he's in for a bit of a disappointment if he actually does, in, in his heart of hearts, expects that. Um, and we saw that with not with just the players, I, I think Maury mentioned it early in his press conference. He said, he expects them to win fifty plus games and get home court advantage, which was um, which was eye opening for me because like um, while 50, 50 wins is certainly a ceiling for them, like, that's a possibility. I, I don't think it's reasonable to expect that much from them.
2: Yeah, I don't, I think with More, uh, I don't think I think that manager doesn't want uh, the general manager doesn't want to like put a cap on what a team. Especially, like, a team that's not going to be that young. Like, the Rockets will be young, but there will be veterans who want to win a championship. Uh, uh, and, you know, Morey doesn't, like I said, doesn't want to put a cap on expectations. I think he wants the players to have the expect whatever. I think he wants to have whatever expectations the players have. So, I'm perfectly fine with him, probably. Uh Saying that the expectation is what is realistically the ceiling for this team—fifty-ish wins and a home court advantage—that's probably the max ceiling at this point.
1: Yeah, and the and the next um, the next thing I noticed in this press conference was kind of um, he was asked um, about his leadership, is, and that that's something we've all been questioning um, for like the past few months, you know, because with that that horrible season last year. Um, you know, questions arise about a player's leadership. You know, the best player on the team, his leadership, and fair enough that that, that stuff that needs to be addressed. And um and, and this is what he had to say about that.
0: I gotta you know get back to how you know how I was, and, and so um you know my focus level, the things that uh, I can control, I have to be a lot better at, and, and then then once I get myself figured out. Then I can help others, and so that was that was one of the main things that I I focus on this summer, um, and so that's why I'm in a good place right now. I'm, I'm excited, and that's you know why you know I gathered the guys together to to you know get this thing going.
1: And he brought up an interesting point when he said he he, got, he gathered the guys together because you could certainly see this off season. He took an initiative to get everybody on the same page um, as soon as Trent, as soon as free agency was over. You know, he, he organized workouts in Las Vegas, in Miami, um, and he and he made a real effort to get these guys on the same page. And and that's not something that's uh, unique to this season, but it felt more important this off season because he he did do something similar to, to that last year. But it, it felt more like he first of all he did more workouts this off season, and second of all, it, it, it just coming off the season that he came off of. I, I think it, it displays a good display of leadership to kind of you know. Corral the guys and and get them get everybody on the same page. Get to know everybody on and off the court, um, and also um, ha- have workouts, feel everybody out, uh, and stuff like that. Uh, what did you take away from his press conference?
2: Uh, my take uh, my takeaway was if he hasn't matured at all, he's doing a really good job of pretending that he has. Uh, and I'm inclined to believe that he has at least somewhat matured. It would take an extreme effort and uh, an extreme effort for him uh, to say all these things and sound the way that he sounds and still not be mature. If that makes sense, I don't. I don't see why anyone would go out of their way to look like they were this much more mature than they actually are. So I think. I'm inclined to believe that he has matured and I think that there has been certainly nothing but good signs so far this off season and media day in terms of what he's uh developed into as a leader.
1: So so you're on the you're on the the side of um of kind of buying into it, on buying into Harden as a leader this year, because that's going to be a storyline that not only we're going to be watching, guys around the NBA, you know, national guys like Matt Moore, um, Zach Lowe, everybody's going to be watching out for this. If he can truly lead a team um, to success, and he's done it before, but in in the fashion of not falling off, staying grounded, and um, and you know, being being a true leader. So, are you buying into it?
2: As I said, I, I'm, I'm, I'm inclined to believe him at this point, but I wouldn't. But I'm not uh, going to make any complete declarations until the season starts.
1: That's fair, I that's, guess. That's fair, and um, certainly, I mean, he, he hasn't given you any reason to. Um, he hasn't stepped on the court yet, and so you know, until until that happens, until we see. How this Rockets team fares next season, we can't say anything with with absolute assertion. So I think it's completely fair on your part. And so another thing um, that he was pressed about during his press conference was obviously his defense, and he's asked about this every year. And you know, Harden's kind of had this pattern of uh, of trying one year and then resting on his laurels the next year. And I, I feel like he's going to have a bounce back year. And but but this is what he had to say about his defense.
0: You know, and so I got to be better. And I will be better. And um, so, you know, that's where we are. And uh, you know, like I said, I looked in the mirror. I figured out that I got to be better, you know, as a basketball player, as a person. And then uh, it'll be easier for me to lead. Do
3: the critics annoy you a little
0: bit, or do just—is it just kind of white noise? It's white noise because I'm more than capable. And, and I mean, I know I can—I can play defense and, and offense. I can one of the best players in this league. And so. Um, you know, like I said, the last year was just a blur. It was it was just everything was happening so fast. And, you know, we all go through it in life. We all have bad, you know, days, bad years. I mean, who doesn't? But, you know, it's, it's the bounce back you know, that, that makes you stronger.
1: So, um, basically, he said, you know, um, like last year was a blur. Um, he feels he could bounce back this year. Are you buying into it? Do you think James Harden is going to be a better defender this year? Uh,
2: yeah, I do. Because I think I was of the belief that he improved during the All-Star break, but it just uh, went unnoticed. Uh, So I don't see any reason to believe that he won't at least improve some. The question, for me at least, is how much he improves, uh, because he can be a good defender. He doesn't have to be a lockdown defender, but in 2015 he was at least close to being a good defender. So I would like to see that from him, Uh, and maybe this decreased workload in terms of how hard he has to work on offense will allow him to be a good defender, and maybe even better than he was in 2015. But just like with the leadership, I'm going to have to see it.
1: Yeah, and... And again, um, as far, as far as defense, I, I think I I'm I'm with you. I think he's gonna have a bounce back season. I think it's hard not to um, have a bounce back season after everybody's throwing it in your face all the time, and um, and just how bad he was last year. I, I think I think the first half of last season. I mean, that was some of the worst defense I've seen from James Harden ever in his whole career, um, and, and that's not counting 2013, 14. That, that was absolutely terrible. And I know, I know, I know what stretch you're talking about post all-star break. Um, I noticed it too, but it, it seemed to be brief. Like it lasted for like a couple weeks and then it went away. Um, it was like a 10 or 12 game stretch where he was playing absolutely great, like good defense. Like and he wasn't harming the team and it, it seemed to, um, it seemed to play well, um, as far as their playoff push.
2: Yeah. And I'm going to have to go ahead and disagree with you on the, uh Beginning of the season being the worst uh, we've seen from Harden because, in my opinion, uh, twenty I believe fourteen yeah twenty fourteen was atrocious because his he's off the he had bad off ball defense and then he had that like thing that he would do like twice a game the uh, OLA defense where he would just let someone blow by him and try to get the wrap around. Steal,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and he did all the time, and that was I. I feel like I had his head and shoulders the worst defense that I've ever seen from him. But I could also be wrong. I could be biased in that sense.
1: Yeah, I, I, I just thought the conditioning, the condition he was in, kind of led to um, some terrible off-ball defense. He, he was absolutely horrendous in transition too, and that's something that we never, yeah, yeah that, that's something we never talk about with Harding, um, but. Yeah, and that's not all his fault. I mean, the whole team was bad. Trevor was really bad in transition last year. Um, and and um, at the same time, I, I do think he needs to hold himself accountable. I think he will this season. I'm a little optimistic on that end. Um, and so I, I I don't want to play this clip, but um, Eric Gordon mentioned something that really intrigued me um, as far as how good Harden can be next year offensively. He thought he could easily. He thought James Harden could easily average like ten assists per game. Do you agree with that assessment? Because you know, I, I, I thought about this today, and Mike Mike D'Antoni's mentioned this before. He thinks he could average twelve or thirteen assists per game, and um, I thought I, I looked at I looked at the numbers. I, I looked at how many um, how many passes he makes per game, and just the success rate on them. I mean, as you know, uh, the Rockets are were middle of the pack in shooting um, year after year after year. So. A lot of the shots he he a lot of the shots he created went kind of missed right, and a lot of the attention he grabs, you know, going into the lane because he grabs a, a crapload of attention. And uh, Ryan Anderson was mentioning earlier um, some of the ga- the games he was playing with Harden during the summer were some of the most open shots he's ever had in his life. So, um, at the I, I I can see a situation where he averages around nine assists per game. I'm not ready to jump the gun and say that he's ready to a- average ten assists per game. I will say it's possible under Mike D'Antoni if he buys in right away and he does the the necessary things like getting the ball out of his hands a little bit quicker, uh, doing a, le- a little less isolation, and uh, being more committed to moving off the ball. I think I think he can be a ten assist uh, game guy, but I'm not ready to go there yet. What about you? Uh, ten assists
2: is pushing it for me. Mm-hmm. I feel like I think he's going to get his, you know, twenty 28- eight. 27 to 30 points per game this season I feel that that is something is going to happen just because he's such a lethal scorer in that sense so if he averages 30 in my mind because I don't think I've ever seen it I just don't know what 30 points and 10 assists looks like because I've never like I said I've, I've I've never seen that happen.
1: Yeah, it's stupid. So, it, it's stupid to even think about. But, I, I mean, um, post-All-Star break, Harden, Harden was averaging around 30 points per game. But I, I, don't, I don't think I remember a period of time where he was simultaneously averaging um, 30 and even 9. I, I don't think he's even gotten that high before.
2: Yeah. that yeah, 30 and 9, I think, is possible. And I actually was listening to a, uh, another podcast... Uh, with some people that I like. Uh, and they said, they raised the question, is 30 and 9 possible for Harden? And they all said yes, if he buys into Dan Tony's system. So I'll say 30 and 9 is possible, but 30 and 10 for me is pushing it just because I, like I said, I just don't know what that looks like. 30 and 10 is unfathomable. unfathomable. A
1: bowl to me. Yeah, and uh, to me, I'm not even ready to go to 30 and nine yet. Like, to me, I'm 28 and a half and nine on really efficient numbers Um, can be good for me. Yeah, that's probably more realistic in terms of uh, what. What he will do, I was just speaking from a standpoint of like what is possible. Yeah, but ceiling. yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, and um, the biggest thing I'm going to track next season if is if he lowers the amount of isolation, uh, isolations he had because I think he led the league in isolations last year. If if he lowers that and he lowers the amount of time with the ball in his hands, he's true. He's really in for a historically great offensive season because he he has all the skills it's going to take a lot of buy-in from him and D'Antoni both. Because I I think the potential for a clash is definitely there. And we're not discussing it because we're really optimistic on them. But the potential for a dantoni Harden clash is there, and we should acknowledge it. Um, But at the same time, if they both buy into each other, if they both sacrifice, like, okay, maybe Harden's not going to average 10 or 12 assists per game. And Harden acknowledges, okay, okay, maybe I don't have to average like 30 a night. And maybe I can just... You know, up the assist totals, and you know, take the take a lot of stress off my body in doing this, and trust my teammates more. Maybe, maybe um, it works, and we and we get something truly great in terms of um, offensive production. Yeah, I think
2: uh, a big priority is getting him to give up the ball quicker.
1: Yeah, Uh, Yeah. that's
2: the first priority, and then the second one that's kind of. uh, Low key in my eyes is just ma- having him bring the ball up every time, like a traditional point guard. Because last year he didn't actually do that all that often. It was just kind of, and I feel like that really stunted the offense sometimes. Having Pat Bev bring the ball up, and it's sort of like everybody let's scramble to try to get James the ball in mm-hmm. like the f- uh, front court in the front court. Yeah, and that really put a cap on how good the offense could be last year so if and d'antoni has said hinted i think at the fact that he'll bring the ball up more this year like a traditional point guard and that's something that i'm going to be excited to see
1: yeah and uh and i think you and me both watched a crap load of seven seconds or less this summer um in preparing to write our columns on d'antoni and i think you noticed it and i noticed it too steve nash brought the ball up and he initiated everything quickly and he was moving off the ball. Like he made that first pass, and he was gone. Every everybody was moving on the floor. Nobody was was stuck on a corner. Everybody was setting screens. Everybody was moving. And um, that's something we haven't seen from Rockets offense. What we normally see is, as you said, Patrick Beverly moves the ball up. He gives it to Harden in his spot, and he goes to work. And um, sometimes he moves off the ball. But when he's off the ball, you often see him sitting on a corner and kind of waiting for a, a pull, a, like a, a catch and shoot. I think if if he moves around a lot, it can be, like, absolute hell for a defense.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think that, that that can really make this offense transcendent in terms of the rest of the league. I think that is what is going to happen to get them to be a top-two offense. I think that they can get a top-five-ish offense just with Antonio's system and being, uh, getting, like, constant pick-and-rolls and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But what's going to make it, like, Top two is is getting hardened to be dedicated to moving off the ball.
1: Yeah, and so I I, I think we covered everything as far as the media day is concerned. Um, some positive signs. Um, everybody seems pumped. I'm excited for the season to begin. I'm ready for the NBA basketball to begin. Uh, I got my league pass ready. I'm ready to watch my teams. And uh, let's let's get let's get to it. I'm ready. And uh, throw out your Twitter and your anything you're going to be working on this on this season.
2: Uh yeah, I'm at Rocket Intellect just how you spell Rocket and how you spell Intellect. And uh, what I'm going to be working on for your site, obviously, is I'm going to be doing a weekly recap, uh, just basically going over what transpired transpired in a week for the Rockets. So if there were like three or four games in a week for Rockets, I'm going to write a column about those three or four games and going going over those games uh, in one column. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just going to be tweeting out a lot of thoughts about the NBA in general. I don't know if I'm going to actually write about the rest of the league, but I'm going to be sort of covering the rest of the league as a macro blogger, I guess.
1: Yeah. And I'm excited to seeing what you have to say. Uh, I'm excited to read these weekly columns from you. And yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Red Nation Hoops, and you can check out our website at rednationhoops.com. Um, Check out our podcast, subscribe to it on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. And, yeah, give us a good rating on iTunes if you enjoyed the podcast. If you didn't enjoy the podcast, give us a good rating anyways because that's just the right thing to do. All right, good night, guys. And now, insurance-minded speeches
2: from GEICO.